Our talk last time was on forgiveness. And our talk this time is behaving yourself. <laughs> no. Second. <laughs> behaving yourself. All right. No, that's the wrong one. <laughs> oh. Here we are. <laughs> yes. These are social security numbers. We could do that. It's <laughs> But I'm going to give another reading on what sounds like forgiveness. Well, as a matter of fact, it's entitled, What is Forgiveness? <laughs> but I want you to listen to it in regard to behavior. It's a very interesting statement on behavior, and that's what we'll be talking about this morning. And this is from page 391 of the workbook for students of A Course in Miracles. What is Forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin, and in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except a false idea about God's Son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place is now the will of God. An unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. The mind is closed and will not be released. The thought protects projection, tightening its chains, so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt, and further kept from reason. What can come between a fixed projection and the aim that it has chosen as its wanted goal? An unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. Distortion is its purpose and the means by which it would accomplish it as well. It sets about its furious attempts to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offends no aspect of reality, nor seeks to twist it to appearances it likes. It merely looks and waits, and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Do nothing then, and let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your guide your Savior and protector, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already, for such is his function given him by God. Now must you share his function and forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees, 
and whom he honors as the Son of God. This can be a confusing point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dr. Manny always said, act it out, act it out. You. <clears throat> That's the only reason that we dropped the microphone. <laughs> it can be a very confusing point. Because in every statement of truth, in every holy scripture that you've ever read, there is this theme of needing to do nothing but wait, to be still, to be patient, to look gently upon the world, to not go out and disturb it and change it and manipulate it and tamper with it and tinker even with your own personality, but to wait and to look and to watch and to be peaceful and to be kind and to be gentle. And so it, it seems as if to the ego, to Edgar, we haven't used the word Edgar in a long time. <laughs> Those of you who have been attending the uh, dispensable church for uh, the last uh, two plus years know that we dubbed the higher ego Edgar. Now, <laughs> when I went to uh, speak at ARE headquarters, uh, the uh, Edgar Casey headquarters in Virginia Beach, <laughs> I suddenly realized that uh, I had to be careful about that. <laughs> so I changed him to Maurice. <laughs> but uh, we'll go back to Edgar uh, today. And I distinguish uh, the higher ego only because it is very important to see that the ego does quote spiritual truth in order to cause confusion. And this is, in fact, the main way that the ego will come to you once you begin a spiritual path. It doesn't come in the old, blatant ways. Like, snatch that lady's purse and run. <laughs> you won't listen to that anymore. Uh, but it'll quote truth, and it'll tell you that in the name of honesty, you must tell this person just exactly what they're like. Or... In the name of openness, uh, you must be uh, uh, you must betray your spouse, and so forth. You know all this stuff, and even more subtly than that, in the name of openness, uh, you must bring this up at this time. And, and yet, you know in your heart this is not the time to bring it up. Now, one of the things that Edgar loves to do is to take every statement of truth and change it into a rule of behavior because Edgar worships appearances. Edgar is part of the ego. It just has a different stance. And the ego is nothing more than the belief that appearances are everything. And so rules of behavior seem very important to the ego. And that's why all truth is turned into a rule, and then the rule is worshipped. There's no flexibility. Rules are good things, but in the hands of the ego, there are no, uh, there is no give and take to the rule. It is not gentle. It does not serve the purpose of happiness and peace. And every good rule must serve that, that single purpose. 
The purpose of a rule is to make you and other people happy. It is to bring peace. So if a rule is causing an issue between you and another person, you can be sure it is now in the hands of Edgar. Now, for example, several Sundays ago, I mentioned, I was talking about how things call uh, to our ego, uh, just innocuous little things that are done during the day, and I was giving a list of them. But one of the things that I happened to say was, we can't even ask people, how are you doing, without the person turning to their ego and uh, checking with their ego to see how they feel. I've had a number of people since then catch themselves if they ask me how I was doing and say, oh, I'm not supposed to say that. You know, you say we're not supposed to say that. And of course, I didn't say that at all. There, there's no such... that that You see, the truth is that everything in the world calls to our ego, including not doing anything. And so if you if you sit in your bathtub, this has consequences. If you just sit and sit and sit, the water gets cold, people. <laughs> Bells go off. All kinds of things happen. Anything that you do in the world has consequences. It is often true that it's better to do nothing if you are confused. As a matter of fact, that comes as close to being an absolute rule as you can get. If you don't know what to do, if you're confused, if you're conflicted, wait. But of course, there may be situations in which you can't wait. You've just got to act. But they are very, very rare indeed. And so, making a routine is, of course, a good thing, but you don't want to worship the routine as if it were God. We all have our routine. If you don't think you live by a routine, then you might simply record the things that you do every day and the time that you do them, and you will see that you do have a routine. It's just that it has gone up, it has grown up unexamined. You do certain things at certain times and in certain ways. You will be surprised, as a matter of fact, if you were to do this, how rigid your routine is. Now, there's nothing wrong with the routine unless it, it becomes a god. A far better routine is one that is not just grown up over a lifetime, things that you've taken on because your parents always did it this way, or your best friend does it this way, or something like that, or you live with someone that does it this way, and suddenly this is now part of your routine. It is better not to have a routine that comes about in that way, but to have a routine that serves your purpose. So it's a routine that's intelligent and thought out, that gives you more peace and quiet and allows your life to run more smoothly. Not perfectly smoothly, because that's not possible as long as we're in the world, but to run more smoothly. But you don't want to worship the routine. The routine must step aside if you see that it is not bringing you peace to adhere to it at this instant. Because it is this instant that is sacred. It is this instant that is holy and must be cherished. God is yours in this instant, but in no other time. And this is very difficult for people to understand. It takes us a great deal of time to understand this business of staying in the present that it in fact means 
staying in the presence of God. So when your mind returns to the present, you are entering a holy place. You are entering a sanctuary. You are knocking on the heart of God, your home, when you bring your mind back to the present. And so, of course, the routine and the rule must give way to the peace of the present if it need be. But remember that Edgar will take any truth and make it into a rule and that it will change the rule as it needs to be to, uh, to cause confusion. There's a delightful way that uh, children do this. Children uh, listen to the way we speak and to the uh, little games that we play, and then they change them. They, they change them a little bit. Like, for example, John has heard of the tooth fairy, but he is not in a position to take advantage of the tooth fairy because uh, he's only four years old. And so he has invented the cavity fairy. <laughs> this makes much more sense to him. <laughs> and that's the way it works, you see. You take whatever it is. The ego takes whatever is going on. I'm not saying that that's an ego thing, but the ego takes whatever is going on, whatever rule, whatever routine. And if it's not causing enough confusion, it will modify it until it does. And you must simply watch this process. It's a very interesting process. Do not be afraid to be a watcher. You must understand that you and I are schizophrenics. We are insane. Our mind at this point is split and crazy. And so there does appear to be two parts to your mind the part that gets angry and acts, that gets scared and acts, gets anxious and does not act, the part that's caught up in the world and thinks that everything in the world is important. Not everything in the world is important. If it did that, it would, it would see the falsity of the world. It thinks that everything that it is doing, that it is looking at, that it is pursuing is important. And yet, there is this quietness that all of you are aware of. Perhaps you can remember having an accident in an automobile or while cl rock climbing or some other situation in which it was out of your hands and all you could do is simply watch it as your car spun off the road or whatever happened. Or as you got uh, mugged. Or whatever the thing may have been. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. But I'm sure everyone in this room can remember a time in which the situation was suddenly out of your hands. You were in an airplane and uh, things seemed to be going wrong. And if they were wrong enough, if it was clear there was nothing you could do about it, then you watched. You had no choice but to, t but to turn to the sanity within you, to the calm, sane part of your mind. Don't be afraid to do that. What you don't want to do, of course, is to get into intellectual questions about what is this? What is the watcher? What is the observer? This is Edgar. Because the observer, the watcher, is simply the peaceful part of your mind and it contains no question. 
And so when you ask, what is the observer, or what is the watcher, do you see this This is ego? This is the agitated part of your mind, because now you must think about it. You've asked yourself a question that has no answer. You've asked yourself, what is the question in God? And there is no question in God. So it is sufficient to simply notice that there is a part of our mind that is always watching, quietly. And to use it more, to turn to it more, is a very, very good thing. And then you can see how Edgar does these things, makes rules out of every spiritual truth, how you cannot even read A Course in Miracles without thinking that you're supposed to behave in a certain way, that you're not supposed to have special relationships. What does that mean? You're not supposed to date. You're not supposed to hold hands. You're not supposed to coo over the table in the quiet corner with candlelight. <laughs> now, if, if Edgar can do this with the course, he can do it with anything because the course is as free of behavioral rules as anything I have ever read in my life. I know of no statement of truth that is more free of, of rules of behavior than the Course of Miracles. And in fact, the Course says that all relationships begin as special relationships and that every relationship that you have is special. And so there's nothing to avoid. It's, it's just simply pointing out something. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do a particular thing. In formulating your rules of behavior, and it is a good thing to make these rules, if you see that their purpose is peace, and if you make them and not Edgar, then they can indeed serve you. In formulating them, there are some general guidelines that can be helpful. We've mentioned many times the concept of simplicity. This is a good standard for all rules. Does it make your life simpler? Does it make your way easier? Does it add or does it take away distraction? If it makes things simpler, if it makes things go more easily, then it is a good rule. The second thing that we've talked about is the concept of cutting back or withdrawing. Now, you happen to see me at a stage in my life in which our family has decided to take still another step in this process. And as I've said, this, we're doing it in our particular way. You have not seen the other steps that we have taken in the last several years. But we have cut back and we've cut back and we've cut back. And I'll talk a little bit about some of those things this morning. But now you're seeing a place in which our cutting back becomes more obvious and more overt. As I say, it's personal as to how each person does this. But the simple way for you to go home to your father is to walk away from the world. It's not the only way, but it is the quick and easy way to do it. To give up fighting all these useless battles, coping and uh, overcoming and facing it and all this insanity that it merely honors the endless 
numbers of issues that you can face and overcome. And all of them are supposed to be good for you. <clears throat> Under the assumption that you will be able to use this in the future. Of course, you won't be able to use what you faced in the future because it will be different. You'll have something different to face and overcome and fight and battle with and stick it out. And so a sanity eventually comes in which you realize you don't have to do this anymore. There isn't anything in the world you have to honor. There are no rules by which you have to live in the world. And so... Of course I am breaking a rule. And that is, I am not leaving at the right time. What you're supposed to do in the world is, you're supposed to be built up, and then you're supposed to be torn down, and then you're supposed to leave. Isn't that right? But that isn't the peaceful way to live. Uh, leave. Those of you who have jobs, those of you who are living in a place, and the time comes that you see that it would be good for you to, to live in another place. Those of you who have a particular relationship that has been uh, very, very chaotic and fear-producing and so forth. Anything in the world, when the time comes, when you see it has served its purpose, this group that you are running, this counseling that you are doing, or the job, or the activity out of doors, or whatever the thing may be. Maybe it's a sport that had, for which you had tremendous passion at one time. And it was the great joy of your life to get out and play soccer, or to uh, hit the ball around the tennis court, or whatever the thing may be. And then you begin to sense that it has served its purpose. The ego the world will argue that you must wait until it deteriorates before you leave. And you can see that with uh, the uh, very prominent people in the world who have done this, such as Salinger, who stopped writing. He has not been forgiven because he, did not, he had not come down yet. He was still a successful author. And he uh, chose to, to stop writing. And uh, what was the actresses uh, that left in the height of her career? Uh, Greta Garbo? Was it Greta Garbo? Grace Kelly? Never has been forgiven. Of course, and, and why weren't they forgiven? It's because they did not play the game right. If they had waited until they were brought down, then it would have been all right to leave and everybody would have been happy about that, you see. So here you have an example, a, a small example. This is a small church. And what's happening is it is growing. It is still growing. The average size of the congregation increases, not from Sunday to Sunday, but over the weeks it grows, you see. You are not supposed to leave when that's happening. So this is a good example that you do not have to, you can see what the rules of the world are and you can decide for yourself what is the peaceful time to step back from something. You do not have to wait, for example, until a food begins to hurt you, as so many people do, as most people do. They begin to experience the anxiety of a particular food 
it's becoming more anxious now, anxiety producing for them to eat this particular food. Perhaps it's fats or perhaps it's salt or perhaps it's sugar or whatever it may be. Perhaps it's alcohol. And there is a growing anxiety. There, there are the first signs that it has served its purpose. But what do we do? We wait until it makes us sick. We make wait not only until it makes us a little bit sick, but it makes us very sick, continuously sick. And then we consider giving it up. It will save you time if you can catch these things at the point where you see that the time is coming to step away from it. So I have tried to give you a gift. And that is one of your way, way homes, one of your best way homes is to see that if you will have less world in your life, you will have more God because the space is already filled. God is already there. So the less world you have, automatically, the more God you have. Now, with, with each of these steps, and you can see this here on a small scale, you must expect that there will be some anger from the world. As we said last time, anger is the desire to control. And so there is anger about my leaving. Even though I have done it in the best way I possibly can, I decided to do one more year and to let everybody know that I was going to do it and to make it the very best year I possibly could. And so we've tried to do everything, our family, to be gentle and to be kind and to be helpful and to not be, uh, to do anything in a jarring way. But of course there is still anger because the, the game is not being played according to the rules. Much of the anger is unconscious. People don't realize that, that, that they have incorporated this way that things should be done and there's a sense that it's not being done the right way. And so you can see at least two rules that are being broken here. Number one, you're supposed to stay and face it. You're supposed to stick it out. You're supposed to overcome it. Although what the it is, no one knows because there isn't anything distressing about this church. This church is a lovely, wonderful place. I love the people here. It has not become a difficult thing for me to do this on Sunday. The people are so gentle that come to this church. It's such a happy, happy atmosphere. We've got a real good group of people that serve here. They're friends, and they get together regularly, and they help each other, and it has a wonderful atmosphere. So what is it that I'm supposed to face? There isn't anything yet, do you see? And yet the assumption is it's because I wish to run away from something that I am doing this. And in your heart, you realize that this is not true. You know that simply the time has come in my life to walk home in a more direct way. That's all that's going on. That time will come for you. Do not try to make it come one hour, one day, one week sooner than you know. But the time will come in which you will say, now I must go to my father. And so now I must turn away from the world in every single way 
that I possibly can. And you, of course, have seen this example with many, many, many people in the world. You see that the time comes for them to walk home. And they may take a vow of silence. They may go into some monastery or retreat. There are many, many ways of doing it. There is no right way to do it. But the purpose is to now turn away from any stimuli whatsoever that is disturbing you and to walk home. Now, before that point is reached, you must begin to see the importance of this in little things. You must begin to notice the relationships that are disturbing you that you can do something about. Of course, you don't want to turn away from your children or from your parents or from certain uh, very, very old friends or relatives it sometimes is much more peaceful to go ahead and continue seeing that. You may want to modify it, but to continue seeing that person. But the relationships that you can turn away from, the activities that you can turn away from. And so, for example, the more egos, the more difficult the situation. This is a general rule. It's not a... It's not. It's not a divine rule. It's, it's, it simply is the way the world works. The more egos, the more difficult the situation. And so perhaps you will see that you don't want to have quite as many, go to quite as many large parties. Now, please don't walk from here saying, Hugh says we're not supposed to go to parties. Because <laughs> that's not it. Of course there are parties that you, it will be more peaceful going to the party because of the people who are giving it or some reason. But you will begin to see that these things disturb you more than you realize. You go to a party and you're disturbed for several days after that. And you don't even realize what's causing it. Issue-oriented meetings are usually very, very disturbing because they're angry. And so you might eventually begin to look at these and see, do you need to go to some place where some issue is going to be heatedly discussed or quietly but angrily discussed? <laughs> but because what is the issue? People, all these issues in the world are red herrings. I just found out what a red herring is. There are something like, uh, in uh, Norway alone, there's something like 42 different See, at the dispensable church, you get education. I mean, if you haven't gotten your college degree, just come here. There's something like 42 different species of herrings in Norway alone. Not one of them is red. So a red herring is, of course, something that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, it's, they're red herrings, all these issues, all these things that people get so worked up about. Of course you don't tell anyone that. You never tell someone that uh, their issue is not important because that's their way home. At this particular time, they must pursue this issue. It is good for them to pursue the issue in whatever way they're doing it. Our lives are lovely. There's a perfection to our lives. And you will see this. Perhaps at the end of your life, you will see how in this lifetime... There was a just rightness to everything you went through. Each thing served a purpose. Now, the only, your only point, part is to perhaps see a little more quickly 
each time when the purpose is served and move on to the next thing instead of holding tightly to the way it's always been. And so perhaps you will get to that point. Another way that the stimuli works in the world, the world is a dream. It is set up. It is not. It does not have these perfect rules and irrefutable logic that people think it does. It is an insane world. It's a world that always changes, but nevertheless it does have a certain pattern for a certain time. It operates in a certain way. And to see how the world operates is a good thing. If you can do so without judging it, if you judge it, you are in it. You are locked in it. It makes no difference whether you are rebelling against something or you're running towards it. You are being controlled by it. And so if you don't like being called a dispensapalian, it's the same thing as wanting to be called a dispensapalian. <laughs> and so the issues are not important, people. And of course, the issues spill over into the uh, the more... The, the harder, grosser forms of the world. We've mentioned a few of them, and a few, few more are, for example, television, movies, and so forth like that. Don't go away from here saying, Hugh says we're not supposed to go to movies. But you will eventually see that you cannot... You, here's what you will first recognize. You do not want to give up television. It is a mistake to do that. It will set you back to simply say, I'm not going to watch any more television. That's not the way it goes. I'm not going to go to any more movies. What you will notice is that your tolerance for parties, issue-oriented meetings, uh, chaotic, stormy relationships, certain foods, whatever the thing is, begins to decrease. This is what you want to notice. Ah, my tolerance is decreasing. And so what will happen with, for example, television is, you will notice that you cannot watch as much of it now as you could without getting disturbed. Perhaps you will notice that your sleep becomes disturbed and you, you don't know why you can't sleep like you could before. And then you begin to see, ah, I watched a lot of television just before I went to sleep. And you begin, if you'll be very sensitive, you can see when the point comes that you have had enough television for tonight. And that will be a little less than it was the week before or the month before. But television, of course, like everything in the world, to one degree or another, like the foods, like the everything else that we've been talking about, like everything else in the world, everything in the world does this to some degree, calls very strongly to the ego. The programs are set up to do that to call directly to your value of vengeance, your value of being rich, being famous, of justified uh, anger, and so forth. Of course the plots are put out that way. Of course the news breaks and so forth are extremely disturbing because they center only on ego activity. Well, of course there are exceptions. But almost always they, they center just on that, on the tragedy, the unthinkable, 
the things that you cannot handle because you are not far enough enough along, and I'm not far enough along to understand how this can happen. How could the child fall in the well? How could they try for three days to get the child out? And there's the mother and everything, and they can't get the child out, and the child dies. Well, of course, people, this kind of thing is going on all around us. And so, of course, it calls to you. And so you begin to watch it, and you begin to see, ah, my tolerance is, is dropping just a little bit. So you cut back a little bit. You keep pace with this sense of how much of the world you can stand. And you will eventually get to the point where it will be very difficult for you even to go out shopping. And so what you will do is, is you will you arrange, oh, there's a marvelous book. How, how many of you uh, know about the book Sideline Home Executives? Has anybody read that book? You have? Good. You... Uh, you know, I have you. I have recommended almost no books in the three and a half, whatever you, two and a half years that we've been doing this. I would recommend this book. It's called Sideline Home Executives, and it is a, it's nothing spiritual in it. It's a system for how to simplify your life, and it is a beauty. It is so beautiful. It of course may not be uh, for you. You may it may not work well, but it's got a uh, card catalog and what you go through and uh, you've got everything there in the little uh, catalog, a little card file you've got the birthdays that are coming up, you've got the things that you have to do this day, it's all done according to colors and so forth, it takes a little time but not very much to set the thing up initially and then it just functions on its own, if you've got, an, if you've got five minutes for example there's a little five minute file Five-minute jobs, things that could be done in five minutes, or maybe they're part of jobs, you see. And uh, it tells you how to uh, uh, how to cook a meal and have the kitchen clean when you're through. It it uh, you schedule everything into it. Now, the beauty of a system like this, and as I say, this is just one particular system, is that it takes these decisions away from us that are not important so our mind can remain with God. And so it's it's almost like a routine. It's almost automatic. You've got a little time, and so you go over there and you just look at the card and you do the next thing that needs to be done because it's all according to priorities. Now the important things are being done. You're not wasting your time doing things that uh, are not as important as other things. So you've got, you've got listed according to the things that will be most peaceful for you to get out of the way. And it's all taken care of. You've already set the thing up. But eventually, and one of the things, the reason that came to mind was that they show you how you can do all of your shopping in simply one trip. It's really a really nice little thing. Now, for many of you, that will not be important, but a time will come in which you will want to go into the world as little as possible because you will find you cannot go into the world without it disturbing you to some degree. And yet you must go in the world to some, some degree. And so you simply start cutting back in a very gentle, peaceful, loving way. Begin this now. Begin looking at the things in your life that are disturbing you and see where you can cut back. 
make your rules fit that situation. What are the rules? Do you need to unplug the phone before you have your meditation in the morning? Do you need to unplug the phone after you've had your evening meditation so that you don't get a disturbing phone call after that? What is it that you need to do? What is it that you can do now? Of course, you'll see many things that will come up in the future, but what can you do now? And you begin this cutting back process. And as you do this, you leave the world and you enter God, even though you're still here. Even though you haven't died yet. So many people think you've got to die first. You just simply begin leaving the world. There's less and less world and more and more God. Don't scare yourself with this. If you try to take on too much, you'll scare yourself and you'll set yourself back. Do as much as you can. And happiness will begin to flow into your heart. Many of you have not yet experienced a single peaceful day. You've heard me talk about peace, but you haven't yet experienced it. So pay attention to these little hints, these little things that we talk about here. This is a very important one. Cut back as much as you can. See where the world is disturbing you now. Pay careful attention to your tolerance level for anything. Don't be afraid to look at anything in your life. Maybe it doesn't have to be done away with, but it could be cut back on a little bit or modified. So let me mention one more thing. And then there's a special treat we have for you at the end of this service. John Huntress has written a new song. And uh, it's really lovely. I heard him sing it. So we're going to end the service with that. But before we do, let me end with this last thing about behavior, rules, routine, and so forth. Now, you've heard me mention these things before, but I'm going to mention them again because still most of you have not taken these things seriously yet. And if you will, they will add so much happiness. They will bring so much relief into your life. If you'll just take it on faith from me that they will, they will. You don't have to understand it. You don't even have to believe it. If you will just do these few simple things, they will help so much. And so, of course, we've mentioned the morning uh, exercise, the uh, preparing the day, setting your purpose first thing in the morning. I've told you how crucial that is. I've told you how important it is to let go of the day at the end of the day, to look back on it and forgive it all. To release it all in some formal way, using perhaps an imagery, is very, very good. Do that as close to the time that you're about to fall asleep. These two practices will carry you so far you just cannot imagine it. If you will do them sincerely, resolutely, they will carry you so far. Make them sacred. Not the time sacred. So if something comes up, you move your meditation. The purpose of the meditation is peace. <clears throat> so you do not let the meditation become an issue. You move it because its purpose is peace. But whenever you can, you have that meditation. As you wake, as your eyes begin to open, you're turning your thought to God. You're setting your purpose. You're telling yourself what's important. You are orienting your mind. You are literally programming your ego in a more peaceful direction by doing this. And then at the end of the day, you relinquish it. Now, what else have we mentioned here? We've mentioned diarrhea. 
Now, why have we mentioned diarrhea so much at this church? Because people are willing to break with the situation if they have diarrhea. This is so important, people. You call for the car to pull over if you have diarrhea. You do not answer the front door if you have diarrhea. You won't answer the phone. You'll get up in the middle of your meal. You will stop. You will leave your shopping cart filled. <laughs> Even though the uh, the line is just, there's no one there now. It's open there. Come diarrhea, you leave the store. Now, this is true of everybody here. Make the peace of God at least as important as diarrhea. <laughs> At least a mild case. <laughs> so this is a wonderful practice to begin. Breaking with the situation when you see that you're losing your peace. Make that a habit. Pull the car over the side of the road. Leave the dining room table. Don't answer the phone. Whatever it is you need to do. And go to God and say, I need help. I'm losing it. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to walk backwards because you walk backwards, people, when you lose your peace. You're going to just have to retrace your steps. This is what you'll find eventually. Every time you get angry, every time you get irritated, if you can stop yourself at least before you start acting out the anger or the irritation or the depression, if you can stop yourself at least at that point, you don't walk back as far because you've got to spend the next several days or whatever it is retracing your steps. And so learn the habit of catching it early, breaking with the situation. That all of you can begin doing. This next one, which you've heard me talk about, many of you are not quite ready yet to do it, but you will be soon. And that's what we've called here bracketing. Pausing before you go in the store. So you've turned off the ignition and you just sit there for a second before you go in the store and see, my purpose is not to get peanut butter. Our purpose is to be happy and at peace. And then if you're out of peanut butter or someone grabs the last uh, jiffy or something right from under your nose, it doesn't matter. It's not your purpose. It's your priority. It's not your purpose. Your purpose is to be at peace before you come home, at least before you come home at night. Pause before you walk in the door and come home. Don't bring the world with you. So bracketing, pausing before and after each little vent. These little vents that unfold like a flower, one petal at a time. And you see a new one coming up now. Something's coming up. Pause. Set your purpose. Because the ego has a separate purpose for each event in the day. And you will follow the ego's purpose unless you deliberately set another one. And so take five seconds, ten seconds. And walk into Piggly Wiggly with God. Is that a good place to end? All right. Illness. And he had wondered if the confusion about the announcement of ending the church and the anger had the effect of 
being a weight on Hugh. And he looked within himself and found that inside himself there was his own anger and confusion over this issue. And so he called a meeting with us. And we got together and looked within ourselves and found the same thing. And so we assume that you have it too. <laughs> and he said that Hugh has been carrying the burden of this church, and it's time that we helped and took some of the burden away, because this shouldn't be a burden. He was told us, David told us, that Hugh has told us of the strength we have in agreement. And he asked us deacons, as I am asking you now, to look within yourselves and search for your own anger, and then just look at it. Don't judge it. Don't uh, be guilty about it at all. Just, just look at it, and then let it be washed away by the joy and gratitude that we feel for Hugh and these last two years that we've had and this year that we're going to have. And then David said, I want to start something tonight. I see the church as this pool of beautiful, clear water. And Hugh is the source of the water, pumping it into the pool, pumping it into the pool, and we're drinking it up and drinking it up and drinking it up. And I want to drop a little pearl of forgiveness and acceptance into the pool and let the ripples spread out through us deacons and through the all congregation and then on through Santa Fe and beyond. And so we worked on that, and we talked about that. And then we talked about how can we tell you. Someone said, well, if he's sick next Sunday, we could, we could just get up and say it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deacons. Uh, people, this is all so natural. Let's work hard now. We've got, what, nine or ten more months? Let's work very, very hard. And you can see how natural this is. There's nothing more natural than for you personally to return to your Father, to know your oneness in God. There's nothing more natural than for you to help in a greater and greater and greater degree every day. Let the peace of God be yours today. No stillness today. No happiness today. And let's go home together. Thanks so much for coming.